Hey guys, welcome to Downtown Harbor Church. My name is John, I'm the executive director here, if it's your first time. Finally, some talent behind the microphone. It's great to be up here. Um, if it's your first time here, welcome. I appreciate coming out to the early service. So, it is the first week of November, which is exciting for me. Let me tell you why. I don't know if you're serious XM radio people, but this week they launched their Christmas music station, which is a big deal for me in my household because it's like a department store. It's Christmas 24 hours a day, which is fantastic. But here's the deal. When you start Christmas music this early, people think like you might peak a little bit. Not a problem for me, but like what you do run the risk of is hearing that Christmas shoes song. And as you know, it is the worst song ever. And if you like that song, by the way, because some people do, you're a psychopath. Nobody likes that song. Actually, my mother-in-law likes it. I don't even know why. Anyway, but so that's great. And so this week also, my parents were in town, which is always nice. They've actually bought a condo in Lauderdale-by-the-Sea. And I know for many folks, when they hear that their parents are moving closer, like kind of encroaching into their buffer zone, makes them a little nervous. But I like my parents, so it's great. And so I was over there Friday, and my dad's like, John, why don't you tell me a little bit about what you're going to be speaking about on Sunday? He's like, give me like, kind of like the bottom line, as you guys call it. So I said, sure, why not? And so he's sitting next to me on the couch, and I'm here, and my mom is kind of like right over on the other love seat. And I'm talking for maybe 20 seconds, 25, and she's beginning to like glare at me. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, am I like, is what I'm saying so offensive? And I look over to my dad to see if he's equally annoyed, and he has fallen completely asleep in 25 seconds. So... That was 25 seconds. You guys have about 25 minutes, so good luck with this. Anyway, we are right in the middle of a series called Reflections, the Story of Jesus, and we are talking about the book of John. And when you think about John, John is said to be the best friend of Jesus. And so really the book of John is him reflecting over the life of his best friend. Now, the book of John is one of the Gospels. Uh, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the Gospels are firsthand accounts of the life of Jesus. Now, what's different about John is that it was written roughly 40 to 45 years after the other Gospels. And it's said that the reason he wrote this book was to kind of fill in the gaps of the other Gospels, things that they didn't really hit on too much, he was going to hit on. And additionally, by the time this had come, by about 90 AD, some heresies had entered into the church. Some groups of people were saying Jesus might not be who he claims to be, that he might actually not be God, he might just be a man. So John wanted to clear that up. So all month long, we've been asking questions. We've been posing questions to John. We wanted to know a couple of things about Jesus, because we said this, that we talk about his teachings here. But do we actually know the man Jesus? So we set out in this series to learn more. So the first week, we asked the question, who is he? Who is Jesus? And we learned that not only is he the son of God, but he's actually God himself, that he is the creator of the universe, which is incredibly amazing to think about, that Jesus actually created the universe. Last week, Adam helped us answer the question, why did he come here, right? If he is God, why did he have to actually come to earth to become a man and to walk this land? Well, we came to the conclusion that he came not only to die for our sins, that we can made, be made right with God, but he came to show us the true characteristics of God. So this week, we want to answer this question. How did he live his life? If he was a man, if he did walk the earth, how did he live his life? What did he do? What did it look like? Well, to answer this question, first we need to talk about the people of the time. And when I talk about the people of the time, who I'm referring to are first century Jews. And if you don't know, Jesus was a Jewish man. And the first century Jews lived 
and breathe the scriptures. And when I refer to scriptures, what I'm talking about is the Old Testament, the, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that whole song you may have sung when you were in Sunday school. I don't remember it. I don't really know all the books of the Old Testament. But those books, they knew them front and back. They knew the characters. They knew the events. They knew all the symbolisms. They knew everything. And Jesus was one of them. He knew it very well. So when we ask the question, how did he live his life? I were to ask you this. How did he live his life? I think many of us would answer it. Well, he taught, right? Jesus taught. They called him rabbi, which means teacher. This is what he did. He walked around teaching. And we know that he liked to teach in parables. That was his famous, that was his favorite way of communicating. And if you don't know, a parable is a fictional story that Jesus made up to tell a real truth. Now, as we established in week one, Jesus is actually God. And when you're God, you know a lot of things. In fact, you know everything. And Jesus understood and knew that he was going to die. He knew the day that he was going to die, the hour, the minute, the location, who was going to kill him, how he was going to die, what it was going to feel like. He knew all of this. And if you know the hour of your death, and you knew that you weren't going to have a very long life like Jesus did, you realize that there can be no wasted movements. No wasted movements. Because Jesus had a lot to accomplish. He had a lot of people that he had to impact. He had a lot of truth that he had to unpack to culture. And so he had no time to waste time. In fact, everything that he did taught a lesson. Everything he did taught a lesson. Wherever he went, whatever he was doing, if you look close enough, you see that there's a lesson there. And I, I was thinking about this this week. I was thinking, okay, if it's true, that everything that Jesus did taught a lesson. Am I seeing it? Are you seeing it? And I was thinking about this because Christina Floria, our family ministry director, brought this up a couple of weeks ago. When you're the modern audience reading a 2,000-year-old book, a lot of times things get missed on us. Because we're not first-century Jews, because we don't have a, a phenomenal grasp of the Old Testament and symbolisms and all that kind of stuff, a lot of times, as modern Christians, a lot of the stuff that Jesus may do or say gets lost on us. And I was thinking about this movie that came out in 1992. Now, before I put it on the screen, don't put it up. Um, this movie changed the American culture. This movie uh, was met with like, so much critical acclaim. It broke down racial barriers. It broke down stereotypes. It won so many awards, and it was a breakthrough um, performance for so many of the uh, actors in it. And if you haven't seen it, you need to. It's White Man Can't Jump. Now, when this movie came out, if you're my age, every boy in your middle school thought that they could slam dunk that summer. But trust me, you know, Dan Schwartz was nowhere near that rim. He thinks he was. But listen, this is a big deal. And in this one scene, in this one scene, Woody Harrelson is driving a car. And he puts on the tape deck. They're just dating the movie. He puts on the tape deck Jimi Hendrix. And he says, I love to listen to Jimi Hendrix. And Wesley Snipes' character says to him, you can listen to Jimi, but you can't hear him. There's a difference. Just because you're listening to him doesn't mean you're hearing him. And I was thinking about how this is so important for us as modern Christians, reading the words of Jesus and reading about his actions, because so many times, yeah, we're listening to him, but are we actually hearing it? Are we missing things because we're not the original audience? So with that in mind, my goal here today is to help you guys see a section of Scripture which I believe is considered to be one of the most important sections of Scripture. But... Because we're not the original audience, because we're not first century Jews, we may be reading the words, but we may not be hearing them like we're supposed to be hearing them. So to help you hear it for the first time, hopefully, I've got to teach you a couple of things. Number one, I've got to teach you about a well. 
specifically a water well. Here's a picture of what a water well looks like. Now, in the Middle East, water wells are incredibly important. They're very important because water is hard to come by, right? It's a desert. Now, traditionally, water wells hold a tremendous amount of importance in the Jewish religion and the Jewish history. Let me tell you why. All of the great Jewish patriarchs, now when I use that term, I'm talking founding fathers. If you think America, think George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, people that were so significant in the foundation of this country. Jewish patriarchs like Isaac and Jacob and Moses. And you may not know those names, and that's okay. We're going to talk about them in January. But these three men were founding fathers of Judaism. And all three of these men met their brides at a water well. And it was so famous, this symbol of that great religious men would meet their brides at a water well. It was actually given the name, the pattern of the well. First century Jews knew about this. They knew to look for this. They knew how important this was throughout the scripture. So with that in mind, let's jump into today's scripture. We're going to be reading from the book of John, chapter 4. The whole story takes place over the entire chapter. Way too long to get into today, but I encourage you to read it on your own. So, starting in John 4, 4 through 9, we read this. He, we're speaking of Jesus. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Goes on. Jacob's well was there. Pause. Jacob is one of the patriarchs that I mentioned, okay? Jacob's well, and this is where Jacob met his bride. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, as tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, you got to understand, his disciples had gone back to town uh, to get food. Now, picture this. Jesus is alone. Jesus is sitting at a very important well, and a woman now is approaching him at Jacob's well. It goes on. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? See, what you have to understand is that Samaritans and Jews hated each other. Now, to be fair, Jews really hated Samaritans. And we can't really get into the reason why, but what you need to know is that at one point, the Samaritans and the Jews were one people group. And over the years, their beliefs began to diverge, so much so that they could be considered two different religions, and they would not socialize. So Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. When he's speaking of living water here, he's talking about eternal life. He wants to get to a place where this Samaritan woman understands who he is and says yes to him. So she responds, where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks from this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never thirst again giving them eternal life. The woman says, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. You see, she's intrigued. Jesus has her attention, and she doesn't fully get it yet. She still thinks he's talking about actual water, but Jesus knows now that she's locked in. He's got her. So he changes subjects real quick, and here's what he says. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. She responds, I have no husband. Now, you've got to remember that Jesus is God. 
Jesus knows everything. And he's also like a really good attorney. And a really good attorney never asks a question that he doesn't already know the answer to because he wants to lead you down a path so that you arrive at a conclusion. Jesus said, you're right. You were right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Her mind is blown. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Now, here, to be honest with you, I cut out a ton of scripture because they get into a very long discussion about the differences between Samaritans and the Jews, and she comes to realize that, in fact, the Samaritans had a lot of things that might not have been right. She didn't understand a lot of things about God. But she says, I may not know a lot, but there is something I do know. I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus says, I am the Messiah. Now, as a modern audience, as people who kind of know who Jesus is, whether you believe he is who he says or not, you know, in fact, who he is, we kind of just glance over this. We don't really think much about it. Yeah, Jesus, you're the Messiah. I get it. Next. But if someone used the phrase, I am, in this time period, they were saying that I am God. That phrase, I am, was only reserved for God. And so Jesus is saying, I am God. Not to mention, for the first time in the book of John, Jesus is publicly proclaiming that he is the Messiah. And who is he saying it to? A woman. And a Samaritan woman. To boot. Just then, the disciples came back, and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? So that's enough scripture for today. So they were shocked. They were shocked. Why were they shocked? I think this is very important for us to land on for a couple of minutes. Number one, I believe they were shocked because they saw Jesus breaching a gender barrier. For a first century Jewish man, to be spending time alone with a woman was considered to be wildly inappropriate. It just was not, it was very irregular. It did not happen. But what you need to understand about Jesus and what the local church doesn't talk about a lot is that at every step of the way, every chance that he could, Jesus elevated the status of women. In a culture that pushed them down, he elevated them. And in fact, every great announcement, every great announcement about Jesus, whether it was the proclamation of his birth or the announcement of his resurrection, it wasn't made to religious leaders. It wasn't made to disciples. It wasn't made to men. It was made to women. So at all times, Jesus was breaching the gender barrier. And they were also shocked because Jesus was breaching the ethnic barrier. As they discussed in this, Samaritans and Jews did not get along. They did not hang out. In fact, if a Jewish person spent time with a Samaritan woman, they would be considered ritualistically unclean. They couldn't even go to church the following Sunday. But Jesus is saying, I understand that man has erected a barrier between these two groups. But I am telling you soon... It's not going to matter. Soon, it's not going to be about where you worship and what mountain you're worshiping at. I didn't get into that. It's only going to be about me and worshiping God through me. They saw Jesus breaking down ethnic barriers. And they also saw Jesus breaching moral barriers. Now, I want to be sensitive to this one. Because many of our lives do align up with this woman. Many of us have had multiple marriages, and many of us are living with people outside of marriage. And the reality is that this isn't God's ideal for our lives now, and it wasn't then. And this woman was considered to be an outright and notorious sinner, so much so because of her life that she was forced to get water in the hottest part of the day at noon so that she wouldn't be faced to meet other people during the cold morning hours or at night. 
But Jesus is saying, listen, I understand what's gone on in your life. And I understand that you've been an outcast in society because of the choices that you have made, but I love you anyway. And I'm going to meet you here at the place of your need in the hottest part of the day. They saw Jesus breaching moral barriers. And while I think all of these three things shocked the disciples, I think there was something else going on here. I think there was something more that really shocked them. And so I'm going to ask the question, are you seeing it? Are you seeing it? Because I believe as these disciples walked up this dusty path and they looked into the distance and they saw Jesus, their Messiah, sitting a very famous well, alone with a woman, I think there was one question on their mind. And it was this. Has the Messiah met his bride? Because any first century Jew knew that if someone of religious authority was sitting at a well next to a woman, a wedding is going to follow. That was the pattern they knew. That's what their scriptures told them. So has the Messiah met their bride? And if he has, what does it mean that his bride has been married five times and is currently living with the dude? How are they going to explain that? Well, if you don't know, Jesus was never married. He was never married. But Jesus uses the symbol of marriage here to display God's love for us. The entire Bible, there's one metaphor that comes from the beginning of the end, and it's the idea of a wedding feast, that at some point in the future, when we are in heaven, there's going to be a tremendous wedding, and Jesus is the groom, and those who have said yes to him, those followers are going to be the bride. And in this symbol that he's showing us here today, he's going, do you want to know what my bride looks like? Do you know who I find most precious? Do you know who I came to earth to die for? A woman just like this. A woman who's been outcast from her society because of the choices that she has made. I came to earth for this. This is what my bride looks like, and this is who I love so dearly. And I think as modern people, we can take a lot of comfort from that. Because I think a lot of us think, I'm not worthy of God. I'm not worthy of Jesus. And he's showing you, yes, you are worthy. This is why I'm here. And in this moment, in this moment, Jesus merges grace and truth. He merges grace and truth. And what's so beautiful about this picture, I think we can learn so much, is that in spite of what this woman is going through, her past and her future and her current present situation, Jesus never condemns her. He never condemns her. He also doesn't condone what she's doing. Instead, he offers hope. He offers her living water. He offers her something better in life rather than the life she's currently living. He offers her the living water, something better, a relationship with him that can change her life now and forever. And because he didn't come down on her like a ton of bricks, like her society has, because he offered her something better, watch what happens. Watch what happens. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. They said, now we know he is indeed the savior of the world. It's amazing. A culture was transformed by this interaction. So you want to ask the question, how did he live his life? He lived a life of grace and truth. So with a message like this, hopefully you've heard something new. Maybe you don't know about the well. And I think we're tempted to say, well, that's really interesting. You know, you leave today and you go, that was interesting. I hadn't heard that before. But if you leave a sermon only saying, gosh, that might have been pretty interesting, but you don't know what to do with it, then really it's just information. So every Sunday here at DHC, we put a word on the screen. The word is practical. Because we want to make sure that you guys can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So what do you do with a message like this? 
What do you do with this kind of a thing? Well, number one, I think it's important to understand that love is local. Love is local. Think back to the beginning of the scripture. It said that Jesus had to go to Samaria. It wasn't by mistake. He had a divine appointment with a person on his path. God needed him to speak with this woman. And so in our own lives, we need to be aware of our surroundings because you can imagine and you can bet that there is someone on your path that God needs you to speak to. And I don't know what that conversation is going to look like. I don't know if he needs you just to be an encourager, just to be a shoulder for that person to lean on. But there's going to be someone on your path. And, and perhaps maybe, maybe you've been thinking of that person right now. But sometimes, sometimes God has put someone on your path that you need to speak truth into their lives. Maybe it's a tough conversation. Maybe they're doing something in their life that is not the greatest. Maybe they're making unwise decisions. And at any moment, they could lose it all. And God needs you to speak truth in their lives. You need to understand that love is truth. I think a lot of times when it comes to these conversations, we shy away from them. We don't want to offend anybody. They're difficult. They're tough. We may not think we're equipped to have those conversations, but you need to understand that God has placed you for a reason in this person's life. Have those tough conversations if you have to. But here's the most important part. If you've been called to have those conversations, those tough things, you need to understand that love is respectful. In this story, Jesus could have dumped all over this woman for her life. We know that her countrymen did that. She was an outcast. Jesus could have dumped on her, but he didn't. He treated her with respect. He spoke truth into her life, but he treated her with respect. And I think so often as Christians, we're quick to point out sin in other people's lives, and too many times we treat them like trash because of that. That's not what we're called to do. That's not what we're called to do. Offer them hope. Offer them something better. Yeah, you may have to have a tough conversation, but offer them hope. Here's what we need to understand. With one action, with one action, simply asking for water, Jesus merged truth and grace, and he changed history. He showed the world that he's bigger than gender barriers, bigger than social barriers, bigger than moral barriers, that he is here for everybody, that his love transcends all things. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to come here today. I thank you. Lord, that everything that you've done teaches us a lesson. Lord, I thank you that you showed us who you came here to die for, who you love, Lord. And I pray, Lord, today that we could find encouragement in this, that we, Lord, know that you love us exactly where we are, no matter what we're going through, no matter what society says about us and the decisions we made, we know, Lord, that you will meet us at the place of our need, Lord. And I pray, God, I pray that today, that you would make us aware of our surroundings. God, if you have someone that we need to speak to, Lord, if it's to be encourager, Lord, if it's to have a tough conversation, God, I pray that you would put that name in our heads right now. I pray that you give us the strength to do that which is right in that person's life. And as we do that, Lord, I pray that you would help us do it in the most powerful way and with respect. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.